0: Well, good morning. It is awfully good to see everybody here. Let me tell you a little secret. Uh, I traveled and preached. some. I preached at Westgate. By the way, uh, the Thigpins, uh, uh, they were with us at Westgate in Abilene for many, many years, and we enjoyed their presence. So I don't know if everybody in the building knows the Thigpins, but uh, we uh, dearly miss them uh, greatly here, but it's wonderful to see them this morning. They came up and introduced themselves uh to us and i did not know they they were here uh when they moved back to the temple area there so it's great to see the thickets. let me tell you a little secret here first all right uh i travel and preach and sometimes my wife comes along with me sometimes she does not my wife is right over here her name is laura uh sitting beside me here and she is wonderful but you know she's heard me and uh, she's made she's been married to me for 35 years and everything else here so she said i've heard everything you've got to say uh, I said, well, um, you if uh, you, know, you, you want to go, you can. She said, where are you going? Uh, I said, well, it's going to Belton. And She goes, huh, okay, and she, and she thought about it. And a couple of days later, she came and said, uh, do you happen to know who's going to be leading worship that day? And I said, well, it's somebody named Thurman. Now, Thurman and I didn't know each other very well, but Thurman and my wife had offices very close to each other up at ACU, And she said, oh, well, if Thurman is leading worship that day, I'm coming with you. So uh, I feel kind of like the gentleman who was doing communion service, and uh, maybe I just ought to take a seat, and we all just keep on singing, and uh, then we'll just pretend that I was here. But uh, Thurman, I do appreciate uh, you very much here. And uh, do you ever preach or sing the preacher up? Have you ever done that before, like walk the preacher up while the song is going on? You reminded me of my days in Detroit, uh, where uh, we had a congregation and they sang the preacher up. I almost, I almost started walking while you were still singing. I didn't know what the reaction was going to be, so I just stayed put here. But I had, I mean, I took a step or two in my mind. Uh, I was, I was coming up here. But I I love that tradition of uh, singing the preacher up uh, to the pulpit here. And you almost, I mean, I was halfway up here. Uh, coming up here. But anyway, it is very good. Stephen, thank you for the introduction. My wife knows Holly. Uh, I think they brought their uh, water aerobics uh, equipment with them there, and they might break into some water aerobics activities here, but it is great to be with you. Uh, we lived in Troy, Texas from 1995 to 1998. I got my PhD at Baylor uh, in biblical studies, and so we lived in Troy, and we often came down to Belton. Uh, I guess back in those days, Joe Basin was the, the preaching minister here. And I knew him, and uh, I, many of you probably just prefer to forget, uh, but I came over here and I taught a class, I believe, here before. So this is my second time uh, to be with you and to, to speak uh, the Word of God with you here. So I am thankful to be able to come back uh, again today here and feel very blessed uh, to be in your midst of this morning here. So what I want to do today is to kind of work out of 2 Corinthians. I think that may be the path that those of us who are coming up from ACU, we have agreed to do this. So if they are not, I am. I'm sticking to the plan, uh, whether they are or not. And according to the schedule that got laid out, uh, I have a section in chapter 2. So I'm going to read. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 through 17. Uh, it will not be on the slide, but it will be. Uh, I will read it out loud to you, and you can join along. Second Corinthians two, fourteen through seventeen, the word of the Lord. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. You bow with me? Our Lord, we're grateful to be here today. Uh, It is good for us to remember what you have done. It is good for us to know that you are way out in front of us. Uh, You are calling us to follow. And so often we fall under the temptation that uh, we are the the masters of our own uh, design, that we are the captains of our ship. Thankfully, we can pause. Thankfully, we can open up Scripture and hear your word and remind ourselves that you are God. And uh, this passage that we're going to talk about today is a great reminder of who you are and what you call us to be. We ask that you bless this time that we have in Scripture, to your glory and to your honor. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. All right, uh, the title that I have chosen for today is uh, the kind of the Nose. Doesn't always know. You may have heard the expression "the nose knows." Uh, but one of the things about Scripture is that it teaches us a few things if we will open up our eyes and our ears and sort of listen and kind of see, sort of peek into what God has to say. We get reminders, you know, little little nudges, little jabs, sometimes slaps in the face about some of the things that perhaps we need to pick up on and take with us through life. And this passage in Second Corinthians kind of taps into something. So if uh, you sort of think along with me a little bit here, there's lots of examples in Scripture where parts of our body don't work all that well. Right off the bat, we've got Adam and Eve in the garden, and their eyes sort of deceive them, don't they? They see some things, they look around here, and they're enticed, and they do what God asks them not to to do. They eat from the tree that they were forbidden to eat from. A little bit later on, Moses acknowledges in Exodus chapters 3 and 4 that his tongue does not work very well. Literally, he says, my tongue is heavy. And that's sort of an ancient uh, Bible way of saying that uh, I don't speak very well. My tongue is heavy. It doesn't work properly. Uh, and so we get that little notion that Moses' tongue, he's not a good speaker. You know, God, you could pick somebody a little bit better than me to approach the Pharaoh because, after all, the Pharaoh's a pretty important guy. He's used to all kinds of dignitaries coming up in front of him, and yeah, I'm not that good a speaker. Why on earth? My tongue is heavy. Well, Moses eventually goes, and we learn something about the Pharaoh's heart. The Pharaoh's heart is hard. Right, I, was, I, was, I was hoping somebody knew that one there. The Pharaoh's heart was hard, which also, kind of like Moses' tongue was heavy, One of the ways in which we think about Pharaoh's heart being hardened is it was heavy. What that means is, again, it didn't work properly. All the signs and wonders are performed, but Pharaoh's heart was heavy. It did not respond properly to what he was seeing. Then we go a little bit uh, further on here in Scripture there, and we learn about those Israelites. Their necks, all right? Their necks don't work properly. They are stiff-necked. Eyes, all right, don't work properly. Hearts don't work properly. Sometimes we even admit our own deficiencies here. Necks that are stiff. All kinds of examples throughout Scripture that uh, we human beings have been given a body by God, but our body does not always respond as it should to the things that are going around, uh, along around with us. So I want to go and kind of give you another example from the Old Testament. Let's see if I can get this to work. If I can't, go ahead and do that in the back. Maybe hitting the wrong button. There we are. Uh, to our nose not working properly. I don't think about our noses very much, right? Uh, but there is a story in Scripture that talks about somebody's nose. Uh, maybe it's working properly, but it, it, it deceives the person. And this is a story about Isaac. And Isaac has a wife. Her name is Rebecca. All right? And Rebecca and Isaac have two boys. And one of the boys is a daddy's boy, and the other boy is a mama's boy. Uh, Esau is the daddy's boy, all right? They go hunting together. They watch ESPN together. I mean, Monday night, you know where they are in the fall, and they're in front of the TV set. They're watching Monday night football, and they do everything together here. So the father has a favorite son, and that son is Esau. And Mama has a favorite son. Her name is Rebecca, uh, and Jacob is his name. And Jacob and Mama, they watch the Food Network a lot. And they are working on recipes all the time. They're always trying to kind of you know, add a little bit of this, a pinch of that, make something just a little bit better each and every time here they serve it, that kind of stuff here. So Mama has a favorite, and Daddy has a favorite, and that's not a good scene, right? And these two brothers, they're twins. And so in ancient Israel, there's this little thing called a blessing. And the blessing goes to the older son. Now, when, it's, you know, when you're twins, that's tough, right? Because you're in there together. But one of the two is going to come out first. And whichever one comes out first, that's the one. Sorry, doesn't have anything to do with how you are, what you do. It's just you came out first. And everything is based on that. So he's going to get the blessing. It's Esau, the one that came out first. Now, Rebecca doesn't really like that idea very much, and so many of you may know the scheme that she comes up with, and Jacob, her favorite son, goes along with it, and that is he dresses up like Esau, and he's going to try to deceive his father, who is very old, and whose eyes do not work very well. Oh, by the way, if you read that story in Genesis 27, all five of the senses are involved in the story. Isaac's eyes, they don't see very well, so it's possible to deceive him. But we got some issues and everything else here about how he feels and how he sounds and everything else here. But one of the things that they notice is that, you know, Esau, he doesn't shower very often. And he doesn't like to do laundry. He's like a typical freshman in college, right? I mean, you know, he, he, he doesn't do laundry very often. and He doesn't really want to shower all that. He smells. There's a certain smell. And so they realize that, and Rebekah tells Jacob to go to the Esau, you know, sneak in while he's out, go in and get uh, one of his robes, put it on. And so while Esau's out hunting, Rebekah sends in Jacob, and he comes in and he deceives his father Isaac for the blessing. But notice what it says, and all this emphasis on the smell. So Jacob is the he uh, went to him, and Esau, Isaac, kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, He blessed him, so Jacob is going to get the blessing. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And so Jacob, the younger of the two twin brothers, deceives along with his mother, the father, and gets the blessing. And the father smells what he thinks is Esau, but he blesses the other son. Sometimes our nose doesn't always No. Isaac is deceived. Now I want to tie that back into our passage in 2 Corinthians here uh, and talk about it a little bit here because one of the things that's being described in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, is this notion of a triumphal. Am I supposed to point this at a certain angle here? There we go. All right. Uh, And so this procession that's going on, which is a common thing in the Roman world. Rome has an empire. All right, they go everywhere. They're fighting battles, and whenever they come back victorious, they will have a triumphal procession. The apostle Paul knows about it. Right, the Corinthian church knows about it. Everybody's seen one. A procession would have come through Corinth. Everybody knows what this is. It's kind of like uh, a victory celebration after the Super Bowl. So whatever team wins the Super Bowl that year, that city will put on a big celebration. The only difference is in a triumphal procession in Rome. Not only do you have the victorious team that comes through, the Romans themselves, but they will bring along those who were defeated, the losers. Because you can do that back in those days. Even today it wouldn't be very appropriate, right? We wouldn't think very much if you brought along sort of in captivity, sort of in chains and shackles and everything else, the team that lost, right? They should get to go home and slink away. Uh, But for the Romans, they brought the losing team with them, and they showed off that they were defeated, and those guys were actually going to their execution. That would be sort of the culminating little event for most of them. But everybody would know that. And along the way, there's going to be all kinds of sacrifices, and incense is going to be burned. There's going to be not only the sights and the sounds of the procession, but there's also going to be the smells of the procession as well. That's what Paul is describing here. And what he's taking is that Roman triumphal procession, and he's applying it to himself. This is one of the challenges of our passage, because Paul is kind of making an analogy here, taking the triumphal procession, where the Roman general comes in, leading the captives behind him, and he's applying it to himself, only now God is the victorious general, and Paul is the one, and this we don't like to hear, But Paul uses the analogy, I'm the one taking captive. Now, in a nation, in a country that likes to celebrate, like on the 4th, right, and other kinds of things here, our independence and our freedoms, Paul constantly reminds us a little something. Because Paul will often begin a letter kind of identifying himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. Nearly all of his letters, you go start reading, just look at the first verse or two of Nearly every letter of Paul that he writes to churches, he introduces himself as a servant. Now he doesn't always apply that to the Christians, but I think they should get the cue as a way of understanding who we are. And Paul says that I have been taken captive by this God. Now what I want us to be a little bit here is, if we're going to use the nose analogy here, I want us to be on the scent. Think about you know kind of a, hunt, you know, a hunting dog or whatever it is. They get on the scent of something, and they follow it, and they follow it until they find it. I want us to be on the scent. And one of the ways we as Christians can be on the scent that we can start to uh, scent God is we follow the verbs. I you know a good hunting dog will follow all kinds of things. Follow a scent there and stay on there. Look for it. You know, hunters, a good hunter, tracker, you know, they're looking for little things here. So for us. We need to understand that if we're going to be on the scent as Christians, as those who identify as Christians, if we're going to be on the scent, we got to follow the verbs. That's one of the things that I learned very on here. The Bible is rather graphic. It doesn't talk in ideals about God. What the Bible does more than anything else, that's the world of philosophy, to talk about ideals. What the Bible does is it gives us verbs. So if we want to read our Bibles well, one of the things we've got to start paying attention to are the verbs. So in the version that I have up here, there are two verbs that I wanted to highlight for you. God always leads. When Jesus called disciples, what were those three little words that he used? Come, follow me. We are never, ever the leader. I don't care all the the professional jargon that's out there and all the self-help books that are out there. I don't care about any of that. When it comes to being Christian, we're never the leader. Ever. God is always out in front. And when Jesus calls disciples, He doesn't say to them, hey, you guys go out in front and I'll catch up later. Jesus doesn't say that, does He? He says, come follow me. Me. So the first big cue that we you know, that we're on the scent, that this is gospel, is that Paul recognizes who the leader is. It's God. And then what we also learn is that God uses us. Great examples in the book of Exodus. So if you got your Bibles, you can turn to the last two verses of the book of Exodus, chapter two, chapter two, twenty-four through twenty-five. Here we go. Give you an example of what I'm talking about. All right, at the end of chapter two, really the first time almost that God appears on the scene, in the book of Exodus. But God heard the cries of the Israelites in their bondage. God remembered the covenant and the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw their affliction, and God took notice. Four verbs. You want to talk about God? You need to talk about a God of doing. God hears, God remembers, God sees, God takes notice. Then you flip over to chapter 3, God comes down. God's always coming down to us. I that's an amazing little thing read the book of Exodus carefully sometime God comes down to us and he tells Moses I'm going to send you I'm going to use you so one of the things that we got to pay attention to if we're going to be followers of Jesus is what is God up to in 2023 it may not have been what God was up to in the days of Moses what is God up to today and in what possible way can God put me to use what possible way can God put the belt in church to use? Because God actually has things going on, whether we acknowledge it or not, the question is, are we going to pay attention? Are we going to get the scent? And are we going to start looking at this? Now, if I start reading 2 Corinthians, I start getting a lot of cues here. Go ahead and flip me to the next screen. All right? If I sniff around a little bit the 2 Corinthians, notice what I start finding. All right? Look at these different verses here. This is all gospel. I, and I highlighted, I'm not going to read all these for us here today, but I highlighted a few phrases for you to be able to see. And one of the problems and one of the challenges we face, all right, that Christians face today in the 21st century is this, we're boring. We're boring. It's not a bad thing. Because one of the chief things that we do is we rely on. Now you go to your local bookstore. You get onto almost any influencer or anything else. What are they going to try to teach you to be? Self-sufficient. Tap into your inner self. All right. Everything that you have. All right. You know. Look into your heart. You can think about all the songs that go out there. All the little things over and over again. Paul has nothing to do with any of that. Notice what he says. I just picked up three. There's more than this in 2 Corinthians. I didn't want to bore you to death here. That we might not rely on ourselves, but God. Relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. We are convinced. Why are we convinced? Notice both in our first example and our, our third example there. Because God's done something. God's done something that nobody else has ever done. He's raised someone from the dead. The very divine self, Jesus Christ. He's raised from the dead. That's why you can rely on God. And so when we're sniffing around 2 Corinthians and we're saying, okay, is this gospel or not? One of the things you want to pay attention to the person that comes here and they are, are they talking about their reliance upon God or are they putting themselves out there? And are they teaching some form of self-sufficiency when we should be recognizing that whatever it is we're up to in Belton here in 2023, we need to be relying on God and we need to be following God's lead, and our leaders need to be discerning what God is up to and helping us follow Jesus in this year and in this place at this time right here right now. That's gospel. Now as we go along here, this is a triumphal procession, so for the next slide here we're going to talk about this notion of a pleasing aroma. All right, so sacrifices are being offered, but if you look down at Exodus 29, what we learn is sacrifices are part of ancient Israel as well. They offer sacrifices. And that's kind of hard for us because one of the things that we really don't pay much attention to in our worship service are our noses, right? Unless we happen to have a coffee stand and donuts in the, kind of in the, in the euphoria here, we don't really do a lot for our noses when we come together to worship. And that, maybe that's a bit of a shame. Because when I go back to the Old Testament, I mean, your nose is going to be involved in worship. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be there. You know, you're going to smell incense. You might smell a sacrifice. Maybe it doesn't smell all that great, but you're going to smell it right, as the sacrifice goes up. But in God's nose, this is all a pleasing aroma. And even if we don't offer incense or do those kinds of things here, maybe we have to kind of hope all right, that our presence here and everything else that's going on is a pleasing aroma to God who smells our sacrifice of worship and who is pleased. Now, already we begin to kind of talk about something that I want to point out today and kind of our, our little notion here. So to the next slide, getting back to our noses, here's a truth that we've got to just deal with. And we don't like to deal with it, but we got to. You know, to those of us who are sitting here, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir this morning, right? Because you bothered to get up and you bothered to come. Or you're not on a golf course somewhere. You're not on a lake fishing. Uh, you're not in, in, a, in a studio doing yoga or anything else here. You've come together to, to worship God, not worship yourself. All right? So that's, that's, a, that's a big step in the process here. So I'm kind of preaching. But there are those who take offense at the gospel. And we've got to just get used to that. Because right? it's going to happen. It happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was preaching. And if people took offense at Jesus, then it's pretty arrogant of us to think that some people aren't going to take offense at us. I mean, who do we think? Of? We're not greater than the Master, are we? And so Paul goes around. It is a pleasing aroma, but to some, it brings death. To others, life. You see, some people's noses simply don't work well they just don't and you can put this out there so people are looking at paul and paul doesn't seem all that impressive surely kind of like this morning you could have found somebody better all right surely there are these super apostles so if you're reading along in second corinthians you read ahead all right, to chapters 10 and 11, you'll meet these super apostles. They're much more impressive. I mean, they can whip out their pedigrees. They can stand up in front of you. They're very eloquent. Uh, they're rhetoricians. They got, I mean, they got it all going. They even look good. Paul, perhaps not so much. And so some people actually took offense at Paul. And if God is with Paul, and if God, if he's just saying, why is Paul always getting beat up and thrown in jail and everything else? It doesn't seem to me that really God is with Paul. If God is with you, then why are so many bad things happening to you? That, that equation's not in the Bible, folks. It simply is not in Scripture. You might be able to go to some places and hear that, but it's really not the prevailing theme here last time i checked all four gospels all right, near the very end of what happens to jesus he's crucified as our communion thoughts sort of reminded us that's where following jesus leads you it's not to a yacht it's to a cross that's what it means and some people don't like to smell that That does not smell good to their noses, and so they'll go off somewhere else. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah that talks about not just our noses, and I kind of want to use that as sort of a a way of saying, as human beings, we can't always trust ourselves. We like to think we can, we can't always do that. In Isaiah's day, he talks about hearts, ears, and eyes on top of noses that just simply don't work that well. Jesus will do the same thing in the Gospels when he starts preaching in parables. You remember that? Jesus starts preaching in parables and the disciples are over there scratching their heads. Man, alive, right? Uh, What are you talking about? And Jesus says something about for those who have ears, let them hear. For those who have eyes, let them see. For those who have a heart to under. He's kind of picking up on this Isaiah passage. And what he's saying is we human beings have a hard time. Hearing, seeing, understanding, and to use the analogy in 2 Corinthians, smelling God. We just don't. But thanks be to God that perhaps he sends some reminders. And so Paul ends this little section in 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17 talking about these peddlers coming through. So who is up to the task? Now, if you stop and think about uh, this a little bit here, that's a, that's a great question to ask, isn't it? It's a question that all of us should be asking, and it should be a fronted question here, because the answer is nobody. Not a single one of us, mostly including me, none of us are up to the task. None of us are. All right? It's kind of like Moses. Moses kind of was right. Why on earth would you send me? I, I don't know your name. I, I don't speak so well. That kind of stuff here. They won't believe me. I mean, you know, it, he's kind of right. But God works with, through, in spite of all of us. And he uses us. And he sends us. And for Paul, he says, you know, when you look at these super apostles that you're going to meet a little bit later on as you work through 2 Corinthians, one of the things is, They are mostly about their pocketbooks. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians, a laborer is worthy of his wages and that kind of stuff here, but that's not what Paul's in it for at all. While there may be some who really enjoy fleecing the flock. That's why the flock has to have good noses. And one of the ways that you can smell the genuine article all right, when they come through here is kind of what Paul has to say. Words like integrity and sincerity. Not flash, all right, not glamour, not any of those things. But do they come with integrity and sincerity? And do they say the word or phrase in Christ? Because that's where everything happens. When it comes to God's plan, all right, which we like to talk about a lot, you hear about a lot here, I guarantee you one thing. God's plan for your life, it involves the phrase, in Christ. Whatever it may be, wherever he may send you, whatever gifts and talents you have, God's plan for your life involves the phrase, in Christ. Where Paul constantly sends you back, in Christ, with Christ through Christ, everything, whatever God has in mind for you in your life, it involves the phrase, in Christ. When you start stepping outside of Christ, then all of a sudden, you've got a person who is, according to the gospel, insincere. Not true. So I want to close this with a verse from the gospel of John. John chapter 5, it's up here with you, because it echoes what Paul has to say. And hopefully, through this lesson, we can begin to understand what a person who is sent from God sort of looks like. Use our example today, what that person might smell like. Notice in John chapter 5, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. What's interesting is that triumphal procession where Paul's been taken captive is to his death. But we learn from other places that I have been crucified with Christ. Can you finish that out for me, congregation? Has crossed over from death to life. What we understand is the mystery that is the gospel. That one must die in order to live. Paul grasped that. And he preached that. And my prayer for all of us is that we can sniff that out. We can smell that. And our lives can be pleasing aromas to Christ as Paul's was. So thank you for being here. If there's anybody here who uh, would like uh, to have prayers uh, uttered over you or whatever it may be, whatever your need may be this morning, please, as we stand and sing, you may come forward. Amen.